he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. He's a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Rod Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb. Went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like some sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. You're going to get an Italian army behind him right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football. The boys from Orchard Park, the Outsiders. I'm the Wolfman, Dale Wolfley. And we always started with Ellis' brother. I'm just going to keep it going that way. And it's Craig Wolfley. Derry, say hello. There. Hello. I'm going to put the fist up before Ronnie does. <laughs> and, of course, Ronnie Paul, uh, pony boy with the fist. <laughs> looks like, yeah, looks yeah. like he's ready to go. We got a fist up for the Wolfley boys. Yeah. And we want to welcome everybody. And this is a special week, the end of the season. A lot going on. Some good, some not so good. But before we get into it, you know, Derry, before we went uh, uh, recording here, you said you just wrote a 2,000-word uh, document on what? Well, it was it was for Steel City Insider, Jim Wexel's fine uh, internet site, that, and I write for them every week, you know, kind of like a view from the booth sort of thing, because uh, it's, it's just fun for me, plus it helps me kind of set for the week all the things that I want to talk about, so... That's what that's what I was writing about, and then of course you know you start to get into some individual things too that go on. So, but it's a lot of fun. I I like writing. Yeah, yeah no, that's really really cool, Craig. I, I love the fact that you do that right there. I'm going to have to start reading it. As a matter of fact, <laughs> there you go. Well, well, do you want to read two thousand words? Price, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I got, I can't wait to read that. That's great. But Pony Boy, you're a big writer too, man. You're the poet. You're the poet, man, with, uh, you don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I do know it, Soda Pop. Thank you very much. I appreciate that right there. Um, Yeah, I enjoy writing. I enjoy creative writing. There's no doubt about that. Um, I love sitting down. I've already got my novel. I got about 80,000 words to my novel. Uh, When I'm done, I I think I'm going to try to actually self-publish that, which is great. You can actually self. Have you guys seen this right now? You yeah. can self-publish yourself. It doesn't. You don't need a publisher anymore. You just do it yourself. Now it's going to cost you. <laughs> You're going to get beat down. But you know what? I'm going to get it in a book form one day, Lord willing. Yeah, I'm looking for the same thing. By the way, I think if I ever get this book going and get it done, I'm going to entitle it "Everything Upstairs Is Pretty Quiet." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's apparently why you write your articles so you can clear your head, uh, as you say. And, and yep. a, a view from the booth, uh, I'm sure it's got a lot of good stuff. And and I know, Pony Boy, you, you, you've written some, some pieces in your time. So, well, we're, we'll probably get into that uh, as we go along. So I guess we'll have to dive into both. But, you know, talking about critics and uh, the three wolves of football is, is really uh, we come a long ways. This is episode 18. So episode wow. 18, that's 
you know, it means one thing, fellas, and, and we all know it. It means that we don't suck because <laughs> they haven't turned us off. All right. Are you sure about that? So no, I'm not positive, sure? but I'm going with it, and that's what I'm sticking with, man. And the only way I could be happy. But you know, there's a guy, uh, Keith Hawkins and Kim Hawkins, and then there's Zyler Hawkins, who I met actually through WVU Medicine Children's. And Keith, the father, has really become good friends with me, and he really loves the three wheels of football. So he, he's the one who's always tweeting at you. He's the one, you know, who's your biggest, best critic, and we love his reviews because so far none of his reviews have sucked either, okay, because they only say good <laughs> things about us. So that's a good point. But I want to play this because last week, uh, Derry, you were talking about – Miami, 1989, you know, you were doing the wham block and all that, but you were in flooded, flooded waters. And he went out and he got video of that. So we're going to say, do you want a mulligan to say it wasn't that rainy, or are you going to double down and say it was pretty wet? Oh, I'm going to double down and say it was pretty wet. (laughs) (laughs) The Hawkins family, you got Keith, Kim, and Z-Girl. Z-Girl is awesome. One of the toughest young ladies you will ever, ever meet, and the best thing I've ever done. But here you go. This is Miami. You got Merrill Hodge. He's going to take over. But look at There's the, the wing guy, the H-back, and he's going to do what? The wham. See, there's no prancing there. There was no prancing. Not even a shade or, or a, a, a slightest little bit of um, sashaying, okay? There was nothing there. We just you, went in after it. Run that again. Come on. Let's see that. I'm going to tell you this, Pony Boy. He doubled down on it. What do you think? Do you think that was good, pretty wet? No, that was wet. There's no doubt about it. I think he doubled down on that, and it certainly was wet out there. I absolutely let me, love let me just say what this. he did. That no, was no, no, no. Wait a minute. As a fullback, you know I used to wham block people. Oh, my goodness. Here comes the wham. Bill Belichick used to use it all the time. The wham block, whether I was on – Uh, the tackle's hip or the tight end's hip, it came down the line, whether it was from the backfield, the wham block, we used to use it all the time. I absolutely loved it, a dive bomb. What I loved about what you did right there, Derry, is you went ahead and you came down, and even though your guy was selling himself out, basically, and when I say that, he was just trying not to get blown off the ball, you still took the buckles and right over his back. Did you see that? You hit him right on the back. Man, there is nothing in the game of football that will wake you up quicker than buckles across the back. Wait a minute. And he, with his knees, marinated his ribs. (laughs) Whatever it was. He hit him and scraped him up, and it hurt. Here's the thing, though. That was during latter part of the game when the rain rain had all stopped. If you could have gotten it like quarters before, you know, I think somewhere in the first half, because it started in the first quarter, and it it ended, you know, maybe around halftime. I don't know. But all I remember was on the sidelines when Malarkey was drowning. <laughs> it was it was it was, it was pretty serious, man. That was that was heavily rained out action going on. Well, you could see the pools. You could see the pools right. of water on the turf, and that was oh man, that's back when it was astro turf. And you no, that was grass. You what? 
That was grass. That was believe it or not, that yeah. was oh grass. Oh my goodness, it didn't even look like grass. Yes, I know, I know. But you guys remember AstroTurf. That was the worst of the worst. Oh. You know, I wasn't going to bring this up there, but so Pony Boy, since you love the Wham Block so much yeah. and, and perform it, why do they use the Wham Block? Why do they? Yes. Yeah, That's well, first of all, um, not a lot of people do use it anymore. Uh, you'll see it from time to time on rare occasions right now. I don't know why they don't use it more. I, I think it's awesome, especially for an offensive lineman to set the dude up and then go block down, just flash in front of them, and then just go block down, on the, and then let me come in. And, man, I used to hit dudes <laughs> right yep. here, right here. I nice used to get gym, killed man. because they were all 330 pounds, and I was only 218 pounds. But, man, that head, that head would go, wham. It's they a head snapper, man. They and, the, and the reason they call it a wham block is they let the guy through in a yay or B gap, and then, Wham! And hopefully he doesn't exactly. see you coming, man. No, it's that's just, exactly it's one, it what just, it is. It is so cool. It's just one of the greatest joys in blocking is to blindside or T-bone a guy. It's one of the best things about the game of football. It, is. it truly is, is the fact that you can just act like an unmitigated savage and then tell the guy about it after you do it to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? Now that's just that I would say kind of a simulation of what a a trap block is for an offensive lineman trapping across the center there. Uh, you know the formation, kind of the same thing there. Although most of the times with the wham block, they really don't see it. Can you imagine the first defensive nose guard or, or two technique that got whammed the first time ever? It's like, where did that come from? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. man. I mean, the trapping game was the Chuck Knoll special. I mean, yeah. it was two and three trap. It was four and five, the six and seven flow 36s, the eight and nines and everything, you know. I mean, it, there's just everything. We trapped coming out of, the, out, of, out of the locker room. I mean, we had tackle traps. We had guard traps. We had whams with the tight end. I mean, it was the only thing we didn't do at first was pull. The, we got Dermani Dawson. We started pulling the center. <laughs> Here's the one thing about the wham block, though. The second time isn't as fun. <laughs> okay. Some guys, it, it takes them two or three times before they catch on. Okay. But the second time, typically, you're running, all of a sudden, that guy looks immediately at you. Wham. <laughs> um, and those yeah. guys were all big dudes, man. So um, I still hit them right in the face. Doesn't matter. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it- Again, it's all all the desire of the heart, baby. You just let her rip. It's the great first, thing about the game. First rule, if you're in the interior of the defense and your blocker goes away, something's coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Be prepared. Something's coming. And speaking of something coming, wow, how could you set this up any better? After the week with DeMar Hamlin, of course, and the Buffalo Bills, and to come back and to – Go ahead to home there. You know, DeMar was doing better at the time, doing great now, at least compared to what he was. And, you know, the fans all getting in. And then Hines takes this 
and returns it for a touchdown. Opening play. Cleveland, Miami, and the Jets were underway as New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. Oh, you just said this is storybook. This is almost fate. I just can't believe what just happened. Josh Allen, the same thing. Six days removed from this incredible can't believe it. scene that we saw with the Bills player down in Cincinnati. And now... You know, I just had to keep playing it there just because of the, the moment was so big and so many people and millions throughout the television land and all the people that were there praying. And, you know, Pony, I want to ask you, what did you think of that whole environment scene? And then a week later, what's your recollection of that entire event? Well, okay, so obviously when DeMar Hamlin went went down um, in that Cincinnati game, um, just don't, you know, we already talked a little bit about it, I believe, but mm-hmm. um, you don't see CPR on a football field. You, you don't see that uh, on a football player um, out in the middle of the field. And uh, one of the more sobering things I've ever seen um, live watching it and uh, one of those deals where you got to sit down and have a long conversation with your kids about it, you know, about what they're seeing and what they're processing, especially if they happen to play football or any any sport for that matter. It's a good teaching moment as well, but um, it was shocking to see it and um, this, to, to believe that the next time the Buffalo Bills were going to play a football game, the very first play of the game, the guy would take it back in an era where you just don't see kickoffs being returned for touchdowns anymore. That was a middle return, and then suddenly Hines broke it to the outside, which so much of the time, that's how it's going to happen. If it really is going to happen anymore, it's going to be a middle return. You break it to the outside, and then Hines used his speed. But the disbelief that was in that stadium. We've all been to that stadium, guys. That's literally where our home was two miles from that stadium. Um, we grew up in, in a town, Orchard Park, New York, where on game day, if you stepped outside and it was a big game and it was a big play, you could hear the roar outside, even though you were two miles away. Um, that was a magical moment for me um, personally, just to be able to watch that and see that. It was like, you know, DeMar Hamlin is on his way to recovery. That's what the doctors say right now. He's doing so much better. And that stud, that incredible stud is on his way to getting better. And I think it might galvanize the entire Buffalo Bills team going forward we'll have to wait and see in the postseason but man right now i I think they're my favorite to come out of the afc you know just listening to uh those guys uh, calling the the broadcast uh romo and company there um man it gave me chills 
absolute chills, you know, to watch what was unfolding to see Josh Allen go and believe it. And it tells me this, that God Almighty worked a mighty work in in DeMar Hamlin and, and brought him back out, man. It just, I, I just, I can't say enough how cool it was to see so many people talk about prayer, demonstrate prayer, and then go about their business in, in, in a prayer-like fashion throughout the week. And I just think that's, that's ginormous and it's incredible. And it really does, it takes you back to, do you remember the days when Tim Tebow would take a knee and pray? Yeah. And people were like, bring that up. what's he doing and everything else? You go, you know what he's doing, man? He's talking to God Almighty. And that is a special moment. Amen. You know, I thought the really interesting thing about that whole thing, looking at it now, that now all of a sudden it's okay to pray and pray on TV Right, Alaska, all these, all it's okay now, and and I don't get me wrong, I'm very happy about that. And you start talking about Tim Tebow, and you talk about that magical moment, but right now is I think that is a huge thing, and for other people, it, it tells me that the country is still a country that we grew up in. It tells yes. me maybe influences from the outside, the elite, are the ones that are sitting there going poo poo this and poo poo that. Because the country is still the country, and the people are still have the faith. There's no question in my mind, you know. And and here's the, here's the thing about it: Demar Hamlin got up out of that hospital room, and he's come he's come home. Um, the the you know who knows the future, but uh, again, God Almighty spared him, and I think that's his God's hand is on his life, and I expect to see some good things coming out of Demar for Demar in the future here. I think he's especially, a pretty special guy. Yeah, especially because we know he's a believer. And, you know, that is that is something. Damar Hamlin is praying himself yeah. to the Lord God. Yes. So, you know what? It was a natural for everybody else around him. And let me also say, because I know some guys that were in that Buffalo Bills locker room just a few years ago, and there's still a lot of players that are there. And Sean McDermott is still there as well. And Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills have a culture that is built and predicated on God Almighty. Amen. Well, you know what? That leaves me excited. It leaves me fired up to move on to this next subject. Because I'm telling you, I haven't been this excited about watching a young person uh, grow at their spot in the NFL as I am about Najee Harris. And this one shot. I think says so much as you see him here throwing Miles Garrett down and slamming him to the ground week after week, Derry. This man, as you say, he's on fire. But I'm telling you, this he's on he's on a lot more. He's on his way to be the best running back possibly in the NFL. You know, you gotta love this guy. He is so competitive, so scrappy, so combustible, and his determination to to challenge would be tacklers. He is part running back, part wide receiver, and part MMA cage fighter, okay? Yeah. I mean, this guy just, he battles guys. It's like, you want to bring it on? Bring it on. Let me see. I'll take it. I'll take it, and I'm going to one one you better because th- that's how he finishes, man. He finishes his runs, and I just love it. Man, it's good to see that physicality. It's good to see guys that are, are, are reaching uh, – Trying to do their utmost to shake off tacklers. You know what that does for the line. The line gets around and says, I want to get on that. I want to hustle with that. 
good things uh, come to those who hustle. That's a, a maxim in the NFL. And believe you me, this offensive line of the Steelers has been matching the output of Najee Harrison. The two of them together, it's beautiful music going on right now. I was just going to say that as well, guys. I think that's one of the cool things about the game of football is the way the offensive line will feed off a running back who stokes it. Yeah. A running back who runs the ball hard and and runs the ball with fearlessness. Um, it it feeds that offensive line. And you know what's really cool about it, too? The running game. And I do believe the running game is definitely coming back in the National Football League. It in is. a physical brand of the running game as well. Never forget this, boys. And, and I know you guys know this, but anyone who's listening right now, there is nothing that is more powerful than lining up and running the ball down the throats of your opponent and and demoralizing them because they can't stop you from running the ball. There is there is nothing that will kill morale more than getting your face kicked in on the line of scrimmage. And, and Najee Harris is one of these guys who understands that, and I love the way the offensive line feeds off of Najee Harris, and Najee Harris feeds off the offensive line. And before you know it, that becomes culture for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And if you don't do it, you're not going to do well here. I love that. Derry, do you see a return to glory here in the way we're talking of that offensive line to running back to the whole attitude with the Pittsburgh Steelers? I see it more and more. It's the return of the physicality. The nature of the beast is to go out and and, and uh, make sure you feast. And, uh, you know, as Ronnie was pointing out, when you're able to run the ball, you're snatching the spirit, the very spirit out of the opponent. And you can see them wither. You can watch them get slowly up off the ground. You can see them slowly make their way back to the huddle. You can see them arguing with each other because so-and-so mm-hmm. didn't fill their run gap. You know, all these things, these little indicators that says, we got them. We got them. We are absolutely putting the pasting to them. And that's the beauty of it. Because on the other hand, when the defense is doing it, when they're coming off in three and outs, you know, then you don't see all that, the, the discouragement of the offense because they're, you know, you're only out there for three plays. But when you've got a defense and you keep them out there and you keep rolling the chains on third down, keep converting, then finally you put one into the end zone. It's a beautiful thing to watch the dispiritedness that arises amongst the guys on defense because, you know, they're trying to do it right to you. Yeah, and I would say this, and not only not only NFL, because like, everything starts, right, and trickles and all this, but it – it's, it, football physicality is returning. As they say, you know, the wheel turns and returns. And physicality football running looks to me like it's going to take a more prominent role uh, once again uh, in football. So very, very happy with that. No, I'm not going to say I'm so happy about what's coming up here. Because Uh-oh. when I look at this, and I go, ring around the rosy. <laughs> As you can see, I had a little bit fun there. I put Mean Joe Green, Dick Buckus, and LT, Lawrence Taylor up there. What would they think? Wow. You know, what do you say, Ron? Well, you know, I look at that, and um, I think 
I, at first, when I saw it, I thought, man, that's really disrespectful. It, it's really disrespectful to do the ring around the rosy. You're in the middle of the game. But then again, I thought, <laughs> you know what? This is the National Football League. And if you've got a problem with that, do something about it. And that's the great thing about it. As a football player, you can do something about it individually, like stuff them into a pine box, metaphorically speaking, of course, <laughs> metaphorically. Or, of course, you can, you can, you can do that collectively as well. It's it's like you know, like I've always said, don't kneel down. That's the that's the biggest glove across the face you can take is when your opponent kneels at the end of a game. You know what? We're not even going to try to score anymore because you boys aren't worth it anymore. We all know what's happening here. Thank you very much. We're not even going to try. That's a disgrace to me. Um, try to drive the other guy into the ground every play that you possibly can. Um, all I know is that's what I did in my 10-year career, and I can't tell you how many times I got driven into the ground. <laughs> all right. But I liked it, and that's the essence of the game. This seemed disrespectful to me. I didn't like it at first, but then I thought, hey, you know what, do something about it if you don't like it. You know, my reaction to it was when I saw it was, Oh, you know, that's kind of funny. And then I thought, well, if that was Joe Green, Joe, I'd have seen him do this before, walk into the huddle and punch a guy out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's the essence of doing something about it, you know. Okay, you're going to do that, and you're going to try to embarrass us. Okay, I'm just going to come over and let you have it. You know, um, I, you know, the, the game has changed. The culture has changed. You know, in our day, that was a shot across the bow. That would have been taken as a real slap in the face. Um, today, that's not the same thing. All right. So I understand the game's changed. And I understand. I, I'm, a, I'm an Andy Reid fan. How can you not love a guy that says, oh, let's go get a cheeseburger? All right. Let's, I'm, I'm all for that, right? He's a great coach. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's, got, uh, he's got high performance teams that he always puts out. I have nothing but respect for him. I just thought that was leaning a little bit towards the um, mm -hmm. just kind of showing off a little bit. And I'm, I'm never a big fan of that. You know, I thought showing off was the key word. And the reason why I say that is because are they so good that they're bored? Are they so good that they think that now they can go ahead and basically mess around? And I think it's disrespectful. And I'm going to say it. And I Let will me... do something about it. I will say something about it, even if I get my can kicked because of it. Go ahead, Terry. Let me just say this. That's almost equal to taunting and a flag. I think it is. I mean, the NFL is so big now. Guys, guys can't even look at each other after a play without getting flagged. And now you're going to do this, and you're not going to say anything about it? I don't know. To me, that's a bigger taunt than some of the things that go on after, you know, after a tackle and so forth. It's a great point. It's a great point. Once again, do something about it. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I'm right because I know I'm right. <laughs> and, and that really made me mad. All right. Anyways. That's good, uh, man. How do just you go really to the next. about it? Yeah. <laughs> go to the next, Soda. <laughs> I'm going to the next. And you know what? It really is irrelevant because this is about Brock Purdy, who is the last draft pick for – 
uh, the 49ers in the whole NFL, and he was called Mr. Irrelevant. But what he said about it, and you have, of course, the, the coach saying, hey, man, this is the best dude in the world, and you don't have to give him 10 compliments before you do give a coaching point. This young guy is ready to go. Brock Purdy, I watched him for five years at Iowa State. Incredible leader in college. What he has done thus far, and let's not, let's not kid around, that's a great defense that the 49ers have, and really a great offense, too, and the way that they do it. Is he good enough at this age, at this time in his career, to take them to the Super Bowl and win it? I'll go to you, Derry, first. Well, first of all, when you start off the whole thing by saying that some coach said you don't have to give him 10 compliments before you teach him a coaching point, it irks me. Okay, I've never gotten 10 compliments from my coaches in my, all my 12 years of playing <laughs> That's because you had Raleigh Dosh. Hey, that was hey, that was Kyle Shanahan, his head coach. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly though. But you know, that's today's culture. You got to compliment him before you can criticize him or something. As I've always said, the problem with some of the guys today, if they were coached like we were coached in our era, they would be in tears. Okay, because the coaches back then were a lot rougher than they are today. And I understand there's it's a different culture. And it's a different sort of young man that, you know, they're they're coaching up now. But I have to say, and you know, in, in, in honest reaction, the first thing that set me off was that. And let's face it, there's no doubt the young man is performing and sitting in the saddle of a great defense and offense, right? And he's got the opportunity to have a running game around him. Uh, you got McCaffrey and so much and so forth. Um, so, hey, God bless him. He's doing a great job. And, and I wish him all the very best. It, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, you know, it's funny because some of those guys pop up. My rookie year, 1980, Tyrone McGriff from uh, Florida A&M, oh, he yeah. was Mr. Irrelevant. And you know what? He became a starter on the offensive line, too. Yeah, yeah. for me, you know, Brock Purdy, um, it, it, it seems inevitable once you get into the postseason that your quarterback is going to have to win a game for you at some point in time. Great point. Um, you know, whether or not Brock Purdy is developed enough to do that, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But can I just tell you guys, I'm not betting against him. I'm not. <laughs> I, I like this kid a lot. And before he even made his first start as the third team quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, okay, even before he made his first start, all of his teammates were rallying around him. Now, for the most part, listen. That's what's going to happen when you're the third-string quarterback. I would imagine there was a lot of leadership meetings where these guys were talking, where Brock Purdy wasn't in that meeting, but guys were saying, hey, listen, we need to support our guy. Step up and encourage him. You know, Make sure that you encourage him. But they all said that he's got a genuine swag to him that is Joe Burrow-esque and has a little something-something coming out of the side of his neck Maybe it was because he was Mr. Irrelevant. Maybe it was because he was the last quarterback drafted. Maybe it was because he was the last player drafted in the NFL draft. I don't know what it is, but this guy is tough, and he's got some swag, and he's on the most talented roster in the National Football League. He's going to have to win this team a game if they're going to win a Super Bowl. When that happens, I don't know, but... Once again, I don't think I'm going to bet against him. 
Say <laughs> so, you know, I, I would. I wasn't going to bet against uh, this guy either, but I thought it was a long stretch when he was hired. I was, I was concerned about the way things would work it, itself out, and it, unfortunately, it did not work. But I'm going to tell you this before I put it up there. Cliff Kingsbury, as when we were playing Texas Tech, WVU I'm talking about, and we just beat him on a last-second field goal. It was three seconds left, and the kicker kicked a 53-yarder to win the game. I think this was in Cliff's second year at Texas Tech. I was sitting next around Dana Holgerson, and he came up and he told me, and he said, hey, you know what Cliff just called me and said? This is on the plane ride back, right before the plane ride back. And he said, you tell the kicker that was one great bleepity bleep kick. And from that point on, I always had a respect for him that he just lost a huge game. They should have won. And the kicker came out in the last second, and and we did it, and the Mountaineers won, and he had that. And, Pony Boy, uh, this is you. Man, I think about what that change could possibly be. Uh, I I think of culture immediately. I, I think of, of culture and what that means. And the culture of the Arizona Cardinals, was that one of the reasons why they let Cliff Kingsbury go? I do not know. Um, I do know this, once again, it comes down to the bottom line of saying, can Cliff Kingsbury take Kyler Murray to the next level? I hate to continue to repeat myself, but I think it's that simple. It was that simple of a question. Can you do this? And I have to wonder, Luke, and, and I'm wondering aloud here live on the air, so forgive me, Basonians, for doing this, but I have to wonder if, in fact, that was a question they asked Cliff, and if, in fact, Cliff just did not want to answer that question in regard to evolving a new offense. Yeah, you know, honestly, it's it's really, really tough because I did the Cliff Kingsbury show, of course. Um, I got to know Cliff Kingsbury, um, respect him greatly because he's one of the smartest human beings I've ever been around. And at the same time, he is humble. And you just don't see a lot of guys that are smart and humble. You don't see it. He's a class act through and through. I disagreed with his football philosophy for the most part and how he was going to run an offense, the culture of the game of football. You guys know that I'm old school. Um, I'm not going to apologize for being old school. I am. I think it's the right school. I think it's it's. It's something that needs to continue in the game of football if you want to be successful. And um, the culture for the Arizona Cardinals is going to have to be rebuilt in the new general manager, in the new head coach's image. It's going to have to be rebuilt. And I think it's going to look really, really different than the culture that was here with Cliff Kingsbury. And I don't say that to attack a guy that I consider to be a friend and a guy that I think is going to land on his feet. But the other thing is this, don't cry for Cliff. (laughs) He made a lot of money. (laughs) And I know there's more to life, of course, than just money, but he's going to be doing just fine. And he still looks good. (laughs) (laughs) You know it's a lot better than any of us. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's for darn sure. And, uh, you know, Paul, all right, Terry, what do you think about that? Just I know you're not there part of it, but what did you see there? Did you did you really believe that you could take that air raid? And although Cliff did change a lot, he went to 12 personnel. Yes, he, he did. He did. So he did try to change. But do you think that that was going to work? 
You know, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of the air raid. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm so old school that, uh, you know, I don't have hair. There you go. So the fact is, you know, the, the thing that it, it really, what it contrasted with me, because here in, in Pittsburgh, you know, uh, we just finished uh, Mike Tomlin's 16th consecutive season without a law, without uh, a 500 wait, wait, better you, winning percent. Okay, you're, you're jumping ahead now. Well, I can't help but not bring it up now because of the fact it contrasts with so much that's going on. Here's the thing about it, and I'm sorry, I, I hope I, d- I don't discombobulate your, your uh, notes for the day here. I'm really good at this. Okay, that's, uh, just surfing. Okay, here's, here's the thing about it. The importance of developing a winning culture at all costs is what pro football is all about, really. I mean, I go back to Chuck Knoll, then you have Bill Cowher, and then Mike Tomlin. Three coaches over 50 years. That's remarkable. Three coaches that are all going to wind up. Two of them are already in the Hall of Fame, and the third one's going to be on his way whenever he decides to step down, that being Mike Tomlin. He's going to be a gold jacket guy. But here's the thing about it. I remember, Chuck, in one of my years, we're playing our fourth preseason game, okay? We're, we're playing the Giants. And we played up until the second quarter. Then we got pulled out through halftime, third quarter. Halfway through the fourth quarter, we are losing. And Ron Blackledge, our line coach, comes and tells us, you guys are back in. What? We've been sitting around since the second quarter. You're telling us we're back in? Chuck wants to win the game. This is important. And this is what Chuck Knoll was in my mind. He was very, I mean, he was all about winning and developing that winning culture. And the, the thing is, success begets success, but so does losing beget losing. You know, and so avoiding losses like the plague is important. And for Chuck, it's all about that that culture of winning that he in, embedded in this franchise way back in the in the 70s. And that, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, is the standard now for, for Pittsburgh always just five, you know, winning record, 500 or above. And it's not that, it's avoiding the losing that can be so predominant over the years if you let it fester. You know, that's the point. You got to understand, it's not about going nine and eight and, and Mike Tomlin and six. It's about not having a losing culture infect the locker room yet again. You don't do that. You can't. And if there's any better example, ask Tony Dungy how hard it was to dig the losing culture out of Tampa Bay or out of the Colts. You know, I mean, it, the, the whole thing is is based on your ability to develop that culture in the locker room. Mm. Great point. Uh, excellent point. And, you know, I'm going to just finish it off with this. That if I just put a little icing on the cake. That you I apologize. You there, took buddy. over the whole show, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> I was once told at Phoenix College as a head coach when we went off, we had a terrible injuries in the beginning of the year, and Mike Jacobs was out there at Mesa Pony Boy. If you remember that, my yeah. old offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, and we we went to we had injuries galore. First four or five, six games, six games we were getting killed, and. We finished up, but we won our last three games. And Mike Jacobs came to me and said, I'm going to tell you something. And he's always been my mentor in football, always been my mentor. And he said, I want to tell you, that was the best job of coaching I've ever seen you do in your life. And I said, like, yeah, okay, you're busting my chops. He goes, no, I'm telling you, you kept them from quitting. You did not allow them to quit, and they kept fighting, and they kept overcoming obstacles. He goes, I'm telling you, that's the best job you've ever done in coaching. That might have been Coach Tomlin's best job. 
Think yeah. about this. He was two and six. Now he's seven and two in the back out of the bye. And I'm told that his record in post bye is out of sight. I mean, what he does, whatever his ability to get these guys going, he doesn't let them quit. They don't quit on him. And you know why so much of it? These guys love him. You know, there is an interpersonal relationship that Mike Tomlin has with each of his ball players. The days of, you know, the uh, you know being up in a tower yelling at the players through a bullhorn or something like that. Those days are long gone. It's about personal relationships now, and I think it's. I'm, I'm not even sure what you guys might have told me this years ago. You know, you'll never know how much they care until you show them how much you care. And that's from the coaches, coming from the coaches to the players. And I think that's so important in today's football, having that personal relationship with your guys. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you, Derry. Segment 10 <laughs> is out. <laughs> okay. So, but moving along here. Uh, I do think this is important, and we're staying with the Cardinals, but this is a really big point on the uh, Wolf and Luke show, and I think this is, this is relevant to any any organization in football. Say, does Kyler Murray have when you're going out there and selecting a coach? Do you even talk to him about it, yeah. or do you just say, hey, here's your new coach, Kyler? Yeah. Um, this is like the age-old question with Devin Booker, but sure. I thought it was a lot different with Devin Booker because the basketball team's 15 guys or 17 if you're on Michigan State in the late 90s or early 2000s. But it's a 15-man roster, and Devin Booker has established himself in that league already. Can I ask one question? Yeah. Can I go Socratic on you, you right can. there? Um, what does Kyla Murray think he needs to do? <laughs> in other words, you know, what does Kyler think he needs to change? Man. He's got to do something. That might He's even got be to evolve, okay? Because if you tell me Kyler believes that, now all of a sudden, heck yeah, man, I'm going to ask him. Who so, do you actually have a relationship with? Who do you like? Yeah, I'm going to ask him that. It doesn't mean that his opinion is going to verify it. He's going to make it a done deal. Is going to guarantee it happens. I'm not going to proceed that way. I just want to know if Kyler thinks first he needs to get better and needs to improve and needs somebody who can take him to that next level. Hopefully he sees that. Yeah, That's where I start. Well, honestly, I don't remember it being that long, number one. But number two, uh, go so ahead, explain yourself. Yeah, are you kidding me? I'm talking. I mean, you know I'm going to riff. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it's so true to me. It, it, it really is. Uh, listen, Kyler Murray has got to take um, charge of his career. Personal responsibility. You guys know this. Personal responsibility. First year to second year, to third year. Man, Kyler Murray was better every year. It's not even close. And so were the Cardinals. They were better every year. And then this fourth year, there was a step back from Kyler Murray. And, you know, once again, hopefully you're able to look at yourself. You guys know how important it is if you want to get better, no matter what it is that confronts you. You've got to look at yourself and say, what do I need to do better? And you've got to you've got to say that um, from a truthful perspective. What do I need to do to be better? Only then can you actually confront what it is that opposes you, and then overcome that. You've got to acknowledge there's a problem first, and hopefully, Kyler's going to be able to look at his career and his career path 
and say, you know what, I really do need to get better here. And I need to get better here. And I need to do that. And if, in fact, he's willing to say that, now all of a sudden, yeah, you want his input. It's not as though he's going to make the decision as to who the next coach is going to be or the next general manager. But you definitely want your franchise quarterback's input. But again, he's got he's to come to terms with himself first. What do you think, Derek? Oh, you know, I mean, who knows it better than the guy that talks to him, sees him. You know, I mean, the fact of the matter, that's what – Oh, no, what... you're missing the point, though. I'm saying is, oh. does a quarterback that's making it – how many millions? 230 million? million, yes. 230 million have an impact into what the direction the team's going to go in. Well, there's no question. You've got such a huge investment in them. You've got to be able to, to consider what you got to do to put tools alongside of them and where you're going to go directionally. With a coach, even. I mean, look, um, I, and I'm, I'm not in favor of players being involved in stuff like that. I mean, that's, to me, that's separation of the front office and, and so forth. Um, and I think nothing good comes out of it when you have a lot of some player interaction with that. But, yeah, you got to consider that you've got such an investment in Kyler that you've got to consider where to go with this and how can we best apply uh, tools around him to make him as good as he can be. But it starts with him acknowledging the fact that, yeah, I took a step back. There's no shame in that. No. You know, the fact is sometimes no. you get years that happen and it's a step back. You don't want it. You train hard. You do everything you can. But other factors kind of fill in and it it, 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 it just happens. So I don't look at this as being something that's final, that, you know, it's one way or the other, this and that. I look at it as something where, first of all, he's acknowledging and he needs to know it from within himself. I got to lead this team, and I'm the team leader. So you know what? I got to get better. You know, and that's the same thing Kenny Pickett's got to do. That's the same thing that every young quarterback has got to do. Because let's face it, there's not a team out there that can compete in the Lombardi land, you know, sweepstakes there. Uh, as Mike Tomlin calls it, the confetti bowl, you know, at the end when the Super Bowl. There's nobody can compete without a franchise quarterback. You got to have that guy. That yeah. guy's got to be able to come through for you. You don't even have a chance if you don't have a quarterback of that caliber. And that's why it's going to be really cool to watch Brock Purdy. Let's see if he can do it. It may well be, you know, that you surround him with so much because without without a guy that's that's franchise capable, and I use that term rather loosely because it describes a lot of guys, but you know what I'm talking about. The guy in the huddle that you believe, you as another player, one of the other 10 guys, you look at that dude, like I looked at Terry Bradshaw, you know, like guys look at Ben Roethlisberger. That guy there, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter if it's good, bad, and different, when it comes crunch time, he's capable of getting it together and pulling your fannies out of the fire because he's just that dadgum good. And that's the way a Bradshaw was. That's the way a Roethlisberger was. They're Hall of Famers for a reason. Okay, my point is this. You've already let the dogs out with Kyler Murray. You've already given $230 million and given him this and that and, and, and brought it out. I think that you better listen to what he has to say. You don't have to listen to him because you're the owner, and you can go in a different direction. And you can just scrap your losses and say, hey, I take my losses. We'll go to change direction. But right now for the Cardinals, they've already let those dogs out. They already know what they got. They better be able to sit there and say if they want to work with their investment of $230 million, they better figure out how two guys can come together, in my opinion. 
Meaning the general manager and the head coach? Is that what you're talking about? And the quarterback. And the quarterback. Okay, yeah. yeah. Three guys. Sorry. Yeah, three guys. (laughs) Well, I'm talking about that the head coach and the quarterback can work together and have the same kind of thoughts. Because you're not going to go ahead and put him under center all the time, Kyler Murray. If you do that, you're going to ruin it. So I think they've already let the dogs out. That's just my opinion. And I think for to be happy, for everybody to be happy, I still wonder, I still wonder to this day if Kyler Murray wasn't a little bit affected by the Cardinals in the contract coming with he's got to study more. I still wonder if somewhere in the back of his head if that didn't bother him because it sure didn't seem like he was the same person throughout the entire season. I, I could be totally wrong. That's just me and my take. But I will say this. I want to end this on a happy note. And We're not better. happy already? Come yeah, on. Well, no, we're all happy. Uh, uh, because I got going. As soon as I saw the ring around the rosy, I wanted to go punch him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But here, this is a happy note. And, uh, you know, I think, I really think something really awesome is happening in Pittsburgh. This is what makes a quarterback on the edge of becoming a great quarterback. It's a guy who things are a little bit hairy, scary, he's not settled in, then all of a sudden he pulls it together. This is what determines it. Uh, what what guys in the huddle say, no matter how bad it gets, how it doesn't look like it's going your way, this guy can pull your fanny out of the fire. It's what we said about Bradshaw. It's what they said about Ben. And now you can say the same thing about Kenny Pickett. George Pickens, his fourth touchdown reception. He leads the Steelers in that department. That's a, those are big words, Derry. Big words. I know it's game time. I know it's emotional for you. But you know what? The Sundance kid, pow, 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 really trying to build something. And when you look at what they've been building and where the whole thing is going, that defense, I mean, come on, man. you got to be jacked. I am jacked, and I'm excited for Kenny Pickett, who, you know, is just he's the hometown favorite. It's nice to see. You know, the young man acquitted himself so well. You got the Raiders and Ravens game when he set an NFL record by throwing the game-winning touchdown passes in the last minute of the game in back-to-back games. That's never been done before. Now, you know what you know what it's like when, when quarterbacks pull it together and do those sorts of things? We've been in the huddle with it, haven't we, man? All right? Yeah. Doesn't matter what level, wherever. You've been in the huddle with it, and you look at it, and you, you look at that guy, and you go, I got to give him my all because I know he's going to give it his all. And if we give him time, he's going to get it done. And there's just nothing better than that feeling of knowing that's what it's like to be in the huddle with uh, the greatness that that was a, a Bradshaw or that was a Roethlisberger or whatever, you know, whatever quarterback that, or player that you, you would like to insert there. Yeah, on that note right there, um, it's interesting because we all know there are two times when heads will snap up in the huddle. Number one, when a legend walks into that huddle, right? Right. Or a guy that is really, really good, that quarterback walks in. Um, Soda Bob, you played uh, with Major Harris. You know exactly what that's like. That Those heads will snap up, man, when that quarterback walks into that huddle. And then when the backup walks in, <laughs> all the heads snap up as well because you're looking at the dude like, man, are you okay? Are you going to be all right? Because, <laughs> man, if you're okay, we're going to be able to do our job as well. But if you're not okay, you really need to say something right now. I was in a game one time, late in the third, maybe it was early in the fourth. We're down, you know, the the, the backup's in. He comes in and he's stammering in the huddle while <laughs> he's to call the play. And I remember looking at Tunch and going, 
this game could be over. <laughs> hey, Craig, the same thing. Craig, the same thing. There was this dude, man, and he was like he was like MacGyver. He had this this Fu Manchu mustache. Right. He he had the, the the pretty hair. He had the square jaw. He looked like a quarterback, right? And he was the backup. And I'll never forget Neil Lomax went down. And I'm not going to say his name. The backup stepped in, and and you know he steps into the huddle to call the play. And his voice cracked. <laughs> right, right. 48, four, po- 48 power. You know, it was his voice cracked. And I got to tell you, man, everybody popped that mouth guard in and got in their three-point stance with a huge grin on their face like, this guy is going to kill us all. There's nothing worse when, than when Porky Pig is your backup quarterback. <laughs> Okay. I'll never forget that, man. Craig Wright! But, oh, okay. I'm going to end it on this. Okay? We had a backup quarterback come in. We snapped the ball. I went walked down on the nose guard. Center went off. So I'm at the very line of scrimmage. And the quarterback drops back eight yards. And he's trying to do a crossing pattern. And he throws the ball really hard. And he throws it right into my can. Right into my tail. <laughs> I mean, he literally took eight yards with one of the strongest arms I think we've I, I've been around in my life and drilled me right in the can. <laughs> I and came off. I had tears coming out of my eyes. It was the hardest hit I've ever had. It was a football drilled on my can. You had to ice it up, up the next day. Oh my gosh! I didn't sit out for two. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, hey, Dale, Dale, who said he couldn't hit the broadside of a farm? <laughs> and so, man, and that is our show for today. And I want to tell you, my brothers, I love you, man. And this is why I do this. Because for, oh. for these moments here, oh. Jerry, Pony Boy, I love you, man. And this, hey, say uh, goodnight to Hoopy. Here we go. Love you, Hoopy. Love you, Hope. Love you very much. Hope. Oh, man. All right, fellas. Hey. Guys, thank you, man. Thank I'll you for you, everything. Just right. remember, I believe, I believe, I believe. That's all, folks. <laughs>